What's up guys, I'm Sasha Taylor and this is Cards Are For Girls. Consider me your navigational guide for all the things you wanted to know about cards but didn't know who to ask. This podcast is your resource. Today, I wanna to bring you into the world of classic cars, show you around a little bit and give you some jumping off points so that if you see a car driving down the road or if you wanna stop in at an auto show or a local meet, you won't feel like a fish out of water. You'll already have a great baseline understanding and that knowledge base that's gonna help you just enjoy the show. Classic cars are without a doubt some beautiful vehicles. And a decent part of that more or less comes from the fact that only the greats survive. The cars that people really pour their money and attention into so that they can withstand the, so many years of use, so that they can be preserved and enjoyed so many years later, it really is the beautiful cars that are left behind. When it comes to distinguishing though between what's actually considered a classic car, that's when things get a little bit muddied. You have classic cars, you have vintage cars, you have antique cars, and depending on who you ask, sometimes they mean the same thing, and sometimes there are very strict guidelines on which is which. So to make sure that it's not more confusing than it has to be, I'm gonna dive right into it and we could start talking about what is a classic car. His classic car collectors, the societies, insurance companies, lawmakers, people that drive the classic cars themselves, they all hold their own different definitions of what's considered to be a classic car. Much the same as the way that classical music is used to describe any kind of old sounding instrumental music by people who aren't deep into the music world, calling a car classic may be more of a general term to describe a car that's exactly that, old. If you're not familiar with the music analogy I just used, then you've probably been using the word classical to describe any music that sounds like it's played by an orchestra or something that you could picture someone waltzing to in an episode of The Crown. But classical was actually originally just supposed to describe music from the classical time period. And that was like the mid 1700s to mid 1800s. It's only referring to about a hundred years worth of music, but, and, and true music snobs will be adamant about the fact that oh, that's the only real classical music, but colloquially, just in layman's terms with the general population, we've accepted the term classical in a way that most people use it, which is just to describe anything that sounds kind of orchestral. It sounds like there's some violins, trumpets, flutes, and the like, even radio stations that are dedicated to playing music from a whole bunch of different time periods, they still consider themselves classical music stations. And these music stations are really just a mix of what in the music world we call lowercase c classical music, lowercase meaning the general term for it that the public has adopted, and uppercase c being the distinction referring to the actual classical time period. Classic cars are in a bit of an interesting situation as the car world kind of navigates these terms, because unlike music where it's been, there's evidence of music existing for thousands, even tens of thousands of years. And on the flip side, cars were invented under 200 years ago. So relatively speaking, it's early on in the modern history of tra transportation for us to be drawing these hard lines on where a classic car begins. You know, bringing it to music again, if you're a millennial or older, then you've seen the shift in what's been considered classic rock. As time passes, the songs that were 10 or 15 or 20 years old start being absorbed into this category of classic. And we're seeing the same thing in the car world where, you know, 15, 20, 30, 50 years ago, there were still classic cars that people then referred to as classic cars. And now we have classic cars that were made in that time period that it's just... <laughs> Actually, I went on YouTube the other day to get a playlist on in the background just while I was painting a classic car. And when I'm working on auto artwork, I love to get kind of pair up the music that I'm listening to with 
either the time period that the car was from or something that kind of fits more with the personality of, of the person who actually bought the painting from me. And since the car that I was painting was from the 60s, I typed into the YouTube search bar what to me felt like oldies music. And the playlist that was recommended to me was called Golden Oldies and it contained 90s music. I almost fell off my chair. It's like, it's that you're in your late 20s, early 30s realization that there's a whole generation of people younger than you that think that you're old. So what might have been a classic car to someone in the 70s, now maybe a vintage car, while what would have been a brand new car in the 80s can now be considered a classic car. By name, classic cars get used as this umbrella term to refer to all the more specific names for these old cars, vintage, antique, historical, and classic. But like I said earlier, depending on who you ask, that line that's drawn between the definitions is very blurred. And I'll give you an example. The Classic Car Club of America defines classic cars as any a finer distinguished vehicle that was manufactured between 1915 and, 19, and 1948. So nothing after 1948 based on this car, uh, based on this car club is considered to be a classic car. There are a bunch of factors that that they use to to get a car onto their approved list of classic cars. Things like, you know, workmanship, being an expensive car for its time when it was first released, limited production quantities, so not mass produced, um, you know, high design and engineering standards. And on one side, I kind of like this idea that a classic car is one that has this higher or more elite level of quality that stood the test of time as being a beautiful and impressive vehicle. But when I learned about the way that they define classic cars with this specific car society, being that it was such a small window, like 1915 to 1948, I I looked into it. I was like, this is so weirdly specific. And why does it end at 1948? So I thought, okay, maybe, maybe something was happening in 1948 where the way that cars were produced drastically changed until I realized that they started their car club in 1952. So by definition of the Classic Car Club of America, a classic car was what they deemed to be a classic at the time that the club was founded, and they literally just haven't changed the rules since then. What's even more crazy about having a hard cutoff at 1948 is that the reason the, car, the Classic Car Club of America even started in the first place is because there were guys in the late 40s and early 50s that were showing up at these old car meets, and they were getting told that their 1920s and 1930s vehicles were too modern which is just crazy. So really the club's definition of 1915 to 1948 has just created a new arbitrary cutoff point where other cars, other cars are now deemed too modern to be a classic. And it seems wild to me that by the organization's definition, some of my favorite classics like 196, uh, 1957 Chevy Bel Air, the 1968 Ford Mustang, cars that are over 50 years old would be considered too modern or not a classic. It's just mind-blowing to me. So in a way, I like that different organizations or different people have their own ideas of what cars are considered the classics because the way I see it, it's a rotating cutoff point in a dynamic timeline. 30 years from now, 2051, a car manufactured in the year 2000 would be as old to someone 30 years from now as cars from the 60s are to us today. And that's kind of a crazy thing to wrap my head around because when I look at the cars that are the cars that are on the road or the cars that were on the road a few years ago to wrap my head around the fact that those could someday be considered classics just seems crazy to me. Like, will we be able to call a 2001 Jeep Cherokee a classic car? I kind of hope not, but I would also bet that nobody in the 1950s or 1960s expected that cars manufactured that year would be lumped into the same 
classic car bucket as cars that they were looking at as classics from the 1920s. Now I'm jumping around in timelines a little bit, but really it's that idea that that a classic car, what's considered a classic car based on the age of it is so relative based on what you considered to be a classic car as you were growing up and in the circles that you engage in. So this is where I think that idea of perceived quality, something that makes the car more distinguished and a a lack of just, it it wasn't totally mass produced comes into play. So in addition to having the car just being older, one typically agreed upon part of the definition of a classic car is that there has to be that sense of quality and kind of undeniable coolness. And the interesting part about this is that it becomes very subjective. It's probably why it's so hard to get a clear definition on what makes a truly classic car because everyone has their own perceptions. Everyone has their own opinions. Everyone has their own preferences when it comes to their cars that they love. There's totally a sense of community within the classic car world too. It's that driving down the road, kind of the friendly nod. You see people do it who drive similar cars today. Like if you see, you know, two people that are driving a Jeep, like that's definitely one a car that there's a community for sure where people will kind of give themselves like, they'll give the other person a bit of a nod as they're driving down the road. Classic cars is that, but like, tenfold. As I mentioned earlier, having them be limited production when they were first released can definitely up the the classic car value. But as cars get older, there are fewer and fewer of them on the roads, simply based on the fact that not all of them are going to make it that many years. They really have to have been upkept to a a degree that they're going to last so many years. It takes a lot of care to upkeep a car for that many years, and certain climates favor old cars as well. You know, they're kinder on the body. You don't have to worry about potholed roads and ice and salt and extreme humidity that can all damage or accelerate the aging and rusting in the car. In colder climates, you won't even see classic cars for probably eight months of the year at least because they're in storage for preservation during any month that's not summer. But even in warmer climates, most classic cars don't get insured as daily drivers. People aren't using them as their go-to and from work vehicle. Because of this, they're typically insured for less money than your average car. So even though you may pay more to get a classic car, you are likely gonna save a little bit of money on insurance. But this totally depends model to model and year to year. And the lower cost in insurance is based on that kind of, that understanding that you'll be clocking fewer kilometers and the chance of your car getting into an accident when it's in storage eight months of the year, you know, it kind of makes sense why you're not paying as much for insurance. On top of that too, the driving behaviors of classic car drivers has been, tends to be one or based on insurance companies is one where You know, the drivers are not trying to just redline their vehicle and totally kill the car, drive it like it's stolen, because there is that that sense of appreciation for the quality of the car. Another factor in the way that these cars are insured differently is that well-maintained classic cars can appreciate in value. They can get more expensive as time passes, unlike basically every other car, which just depreciates in value as soon as you drive it off the lot. Insurance companies have their own take on what's considered a classic car. So it's drastically different than what some of the car societies have have done. But for insurance purposes, a classic car typically is speaking about a car that's over 20 or 30 years old. And when I was looking into this, just to verify what insurance companies are calling classic cars these days, and maybe it's my millennial showing, but 20 years old does not seem that old to me. Like the idea that a car that was released the same year that Shrek was released, just like how can you possibly call that a classic car? Like, I, I, am I in denial of how long ago these things happened? Or does it just seem like that should be in a different category than, than cars that were from the 50s and 60s and 70s and even earlier than that? 
I'm really curious to see what kind of terminology is going to pop up in the next few decades as this timeline for classic cars keeps getting pushed later and later. Because if we're going based off of 20 or 30 years, well, to think that a car that I purchased brand new off the lot today is going to be a classic car in 30 years, it just seems crazy that we're, we're dumping so many more cars into this category. So it will be really interesting to see what classifiers are we able to produce as more time passes where we're, we're able to make a distinction in you know, are we going to get to a point where things are no longer considered classics and they get a different name, like a new generation, a subgeneration of of what how we can refer to these vehicles based on the years that they were produced? There are a couple of these subcategories already. For instance, you know, I mentioned that the umbrella term of classic cars contains things like antique cars. Well, antique cars would be any car that's if we're, if we're looking at classic cars, it's any let's say it's any car that's, you know, 20 or 30 years or older. Then from there, within that group, if they're 45 years or older, that becomes an antique car. And out of those ones, the true vintage cars are the ones that were manufactured before 1930. I kind of like that idea of having little subgenerations where cars can be classified so that we're not just dumping every nice old car into a classic car bucket the farther that we get along in history. And like humans love classified things. We love putting things in boxes. You know, if we understand something as as old and we're like okay that's a classic car but i think that we really need to let time pass a little bit before we'll we're able to see more clear lines in where these generations of cars start and end so kind of how we have oops i'm hitting my mic <laughs> like the same as how we have our you know our boomers and our gen x and gen z and gen y like to identify when a generation starts and stops when you're still in the generation is very difficult to identify. So I think that we're going to have to wait another couple of decades before we can really look back and say, okay, maybe here is where classic cars end or classic cars still continues to be the, the umbrella term, but we'll have more names, you know, vintage, antique, and so on to, to help identify them as we go farther into the future of vehicles. Regardless of what you choose to call them, Buying into the classic car world is one of the best ways to get a totally badass, unique looking car. I'm a huge advocate, I guess I'd say, of, <laughs> of, of having a car that doesn't look like anybody else's car. Like it's something that I want for mine. I love the idea of, of just having something that's completely unique. And I think it comes from years of commuting. Like I spent so many years sitting in traffic. If you're from Southern Ontario, sitting on the 400 series highways, just crawling for hours and hours and hours. And you're just looking at so many cars around you that look exactly the same, that when you get one, that maybe it's an exotic car, maybe it's a classic car, those ones where there are so few of them on the road, it just grabs your attention. And I love that. Most of the time, a classic car is going to give you that nobody else's car looks like mine experience. Unless, of course, if you're in Cuba. Cuba is a classic car super center still. And if you've ever been to Cuba, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you haven't been to Cuba, Cuba from a car's perspective is like someone just froze time in the 1950s. It's like this beautiful beachy time capsule from, I want to say 50 years ago, but I'm in my head, I'm like as if it's 2000, but 70 years ago. The vast majority of cars that are currently in Cuba were imported there before the Cuban revolution. Um, you know, it's Cuba isn't a car manufacturing country the way that Germany and Japan and the USA, like the cars that end up in Cuba are ones that are imported there. But based on the events of the Cuban Revolution, which was 1953 to 1958, after the revolution ended, the U.S. 
initiated a total trade embargo with Cuba, preventing any commercial products, and this included cars, from being traded across the borders. When this happened, in addition to the obvious economic and health concerns that came from not being able to trade with your your closest geographic country, what ended up happening was it completely froze Cuba in time when it came to what cars were on the roads. So whether you're walking around in Havana or you're catching a taxi to get somewhere, almost every single car that you see in Cuba is a beautiful classic car, or at least beautiful on the outside. Because a lot of the time, these cars are not entirely the original cars at this point. You know, I mentioned in an earlier podcast, when you have when you have classic cars, you can have the original one, which is all original parts. You have your your restoration where you bring it back to the original condition. You use the parts that were from the original manufacturer. So essentially it's like you're just refreshing the car to what it originally was. And then you have your resto mod where you start beefing up the car with some new modern parts. I guess I should add a fourth thing into that because the, the cars that are currently used in Cuba, so many of them have these, you know, there's different terms that people use for them, but it's like these Frankenstein engines of whatever parts they could get, because without any trading, you're not going to get the original manufacturer parts. But in a lot of cases, it was difficult to get any parts. So in order to make sure the cars could stay on the road, many of them have undergone these Franken surgeries where you take parts from different cars or you're taking parts that have scrapped cars and using them to repair and put back together vehicles so that you can keep on them on the roads so that you can keep them on the roads. Some people are even swapping out their entire engine these days for diesel engines just because of the fact that diesel and that diesel fuel is so much less expensive in Cuba relative to regular gas. That is, I remember going to Cuba once when I was a bit younger and, and as, there's a couple of things about the, the Veradero airport that are, um, I guess I'll call it culture shock um, and not in a bad way, but you get off the plane and the first thing is, you know, you've got people selling you beer at 10 o'clock in the morning for a dollar outside of the airport. So <laughs> there's there's that part of it. But what what really caught my attention when uh, when I got to Cuba was the fact that all of the flight attendants, all of the flight staff and pilots that were coming off of the planes had suitcases that were very small and they're and instead of having a you know a luggage bag with them what they had instead of a carry-on was car tires like they would be bringing car parts because they were going to different places in the world so they could bring back oh if you needed if you needed some parts for certain things because it's not technically considered trade on an international and government level but they would bring these parts back so that people could continue making these repairs to vehicles because there just wasn't the support system because there wasn't there just wasn't this support system from the states to allow the parts that Cuban people needed for their cars to even get across the border. So there were ways around the embargo where people could get parts, but it significantly impacted the car scene in Cuba. As a car enthusiast, it's definitely something to see. And even though the trade embargo was just lifted a couple of years ago for the first time, Experts are still speculating that it's going to be years before we see a lot of newer cars in Cuba just because of the fact that it's so expensive to import them still. So you can import them, but it's on such a smaller scale than what it maybe could have been if the embargo never happened. And then you combine that with the current economic situation in Cuba uh, being not one of the wealthier countries and, and the expendable income for people to just be importing cars in. You know, experts are speculating that it's not going to be until the resale, until enough cars come in that are then resold at lower costs that you'll really see a shift in what vehicles you're seeing in Cuba. So for the time being, 
I like if you haven't been to Cuba and you're a classic car lover, or even you just like the, the look of them, they're very Insta friendly. <laughs> they photograph well, and they give you a little taste of what it was like driving around back then. My own take is uh, what I would say is that especially after the pandemic, because Cuba is such a tourism heavy heavy country, so much of the GDP comes from tourism. With so much of that choked off with the pandemic that just happened, I think I think that's it's only pushed back the timeline and the ability for a greater number of imports to come into the country just because the money wasn't coming into the country. So if you have a chance to get into Cuba, I would say absolutely do it because it's very very cool to see. You get to drive around any like every taxi that you're going to have is going to be a very cool classic car. And especially if you get into some of the bigger cities, you know, you can just see them all parked around. It's very cool to see. And in the meantime, if you just Google search what's in your area, search on Instagram for car meets in your area for classic car meets. I have found that some of the most welcoming people in the car community are those older guys that just, they just love their car so much. Like they, they saved up for so long and it was their retirement car or it was something that, you know, they have been working for years and they built it. Like just, there's so much to learn from these individuals. And if you go up to someone and just start a conversation with them at one of these car meets, trust me, they want to tell you about their car. They would love to just share that knowledge with you. So I encourage you, if you have any inkling of you, that's like, ah, it'd be kind of cool, but I don't know if I should, or I don't know how I'd approach them. Just do it. Just go ask the questions, show up and it's not like you don't have something to talk about. You can just t ask them to tell you about their car and it starts the conversation that way. If you've even been thinking about it, just do it. Just go for it. You got this. That's what I got for you today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend so we can continue passing the word around. Cars are for girls. I hope you all get out for a drive today. I'm Sasha Taylor. This is Cars Are For Girls, and I will see you next week.